0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello everyone, it's you here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives... That they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hey, y'all, spooky season is here. And if you're looking for a show to whet your appetite for a little haunted history, St. Augustine. So, if you're ready for a little good old-fashioned Halloween storytelling with a commitment to quality historical research, then be sure to check out Southern Gothic today. It's available now on all your favorite podcast apps. <laughs>
1: and welcome to Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class, with me, your host, Katie Charlewood, history harlot and reader of books. If you are new here, this is not my usual voice. This is much sexier than my usual voice. I am sick, because of course I am, because I can't stay healthy for more than five minutes, but fuck it, it's fine. Here we are. Oh, you may have noticed that um, I speak with language more colourful than a kaleidoscope filled with the word fuck. But here we are. Welcome. If you don't like it, though, you might want to exit stage left. Good. Now that we've separated the wheat from the chaff, how are you? I oh, hope you're doing well. Yeah, this has been, it's been a fun week. It's been a busy week trying to get sort of more of the tour dates locked in. The glasgow um show like over half the tickets are gone now so if you want to come see me in glasgow you you you're going to want to get those tickets in soon, sooner rather than later it's it's going to be a good one actually i'm very excited for the glasgow show i have the perfect person to talk about and my outfit is amazing although uh, if you want to contribute to my performance outfits you can always donate to my smutty little dress fund uh, which is my PayPal, which I've renamed the Smutty Little Dress Fund <laughs> for my own amusement. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good night. Um I'm very excited for the Glasgow show. Um all the events are gonna be going up on the website, so they're gonna be on there. And yeah, it's gonna be good. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. We should all be excited. But oh, it has, been, it has been a busy week because I'm trying to like contact venues and arrange gigs and stuff but I don't understand an event space that takes or somewhere that hosts any kind of event that it takes two weeks to respond to an email like that's, that's madness to me because as far as I'm concerned like you should be like two, three days tops as- you know, unless, you know, you're ill or you're on leave. In which case, you know, there should be someone else to do that for you. But yeah, I had a, I had a company contact me after two weeks for, you know, Glasgow. And I was like, oh, thank you so much. That's very kind and considerate of you. But, <laughs> unfortunately, am I of all, all my Glasgow dates arranged for 2024? sorry, cause like I I did it, you know, someone else got there first, which is a wee shame, obviously but like maybe you should have answered your emails a bit quicker and you know but anyway, I know what you're thinking you're thinking, quit your jibber jabber, in fact me, in fact you I will but first, we've gotta get our source on, our sources are Marlena Dietrich Life and Legend by Stephen Buck. Marlena Dietrich by Maria Riva. Blue Angel, The Life of Marlena Dietrich by Donald Spoto. Stenberg and Dietrich, The Phenomenology of Spectacle by James Phillips. A Woman at War, Marlena Dietrich Remembered by David J. Riva. The Sewing Circle, Hollywood's Greatest Secret, Female Stars Who Loved Other Women, by Axel Madsen, The Girls, When Sappho Goes to Hollywood, by Diana McClellan, and of course we have our old favorites, History.com and Biography.com. I will sit in comfortably. Good, then let's begin. So Marlena Dietrich was born as Most of us are. She was born. (laughs) Yeah. So, she was born. Marie Magdalene Dietrich. On the 27th of December. 1901. In the Strauss In Berlin. I will do accents. They will not be pleasant. You're just going to have to accept it. So, she was born to. Wilhelmina Elizabeth Josephine. And a name I'm going to fuck up but luckily i don't have to say it more than once uh Louis eric otto dietrich it's a very sharp shot sharp 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 short oh my god i'm getting worse it's a sharp short name it's like Louis eric otto dietrich see it's eh, 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 eh. it's very difficult for my wee tongue to do is it, uh, you know, it, it likes the long names, the elaborate names, but uh, this is this is where we're at. So, Louis, he was a police lieutenant, and Wilhelmina, or Wilhelmina probably, Villamina was rich. She was from a rich family, a well-to-do family. They made their money on jewellery and clocks. And Marlena here, she is one of two children she has an older sister who's like a year older than her so it's 1900 her sister elizabeth is born and then she's born the year after so there's like a year and a half between them but there's the two girls and that's it that's enough that's a so starting things off she comes from a pretty privileged background her family's prosperous things are going well She's doing alright for herself. Unfortunately, like most of our stories, uh, tragedy strikes. Because of course they fucking do, right? Of course it does. Of course. So her beloved father, Louis, Louis, one of those, he is thrown from a horse and dies of his injuries. And she's only six years old when this happens. Leaving her mother a widow who is was just not doing great. Unsurprisingly, being the turn of the 20th century, her mother goes into full-on mourning. So she is in her mourning garb, she doesn't go places, she dresses all in black. Like, it's very much the done thing of especially the well-to-do. But she is absolutely Done. Like, she is full-on grieving, and, you know, her husband has died, and she's allowed to do that. You're expected to do that, especially, you know, in this era. And what happens is things are going okay until the outbreak of World War I, the Great War, the First War, however you want to phrase it. The war breaks out, and the, the family business is not doing great, because, you know war um although war is good for business, it's not necessarily good for that business. Not really a lot of clocks needed at this time, and so in desperation, their mother gets a job as a housekeeper, but she manages to work for one of Lewis's old friends, Edward von Loesch. so Edward was a colonel in the Grenadiers. And he was, you know, relatively well-to-do as well. So things were okay. She kind of landed on her feet there. But when they get married in 1914, sort of the war has broken out, and then a little while later they get married, Velamina, the mum, is wearing her mourning clothes for her first husband. Like, that is her wedding dress is her mourning garb. Like, I'm not saying that that was a bad sign. I'm just saying, does that flag look vaguely maroon to you? Just, just a question. Just a thought, perhaps. So, they get married in 1914, and he's in the army, he's not around too much and then two years later 1916, he dies he dies in combat, as one does when one is in the army during a full on world war, there is a wee bit of a silver lining though, because they were married they had his pension, so they had von Losch's pension to kind of tide them over and keep them going I should probably mention where the name Marlena came from So, basically, the second half of her second name and the first part of her first name smooshed together. So, when she was younger, people would call her Lena, sort of, for reasons, I guess. And so, she decided to mix those together and make Marlena. So, Marie Magdalene, yeah, 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 Marlena. There you go. She's got a name. Good for her. She chose her name, and we have to respect that so why she's grown up as well is she's playing the violin and she dreams of being a concert violinist but then she starts getting these pains in her hand and she goes to the doctors and it turns out she has this bone injury that didn't heal so she's got this injured wrist and she just can't play to the level of like a concert pianist anymore and here's the thing like she was doing, like, theatre and poetry and all this other stuff as a backup. Like, it was a backup plan for her. Like, imagine imagine your massive, amazing, wonderful career being a backup because you stumbled upon it. Like, you fell into it. Like, by happenstance. You know, when when I fall into things, I end up covered in mud, you know? I end up drenched and ruined and, and broken. She ends up with a career, like oh no, I just fell into it. Oh no, like I end up in the bin next to Oscar the Grouch, and she ends up at the Oscars. You know what I mean? Like that's that's fun for everybody involved. But yeah, she was doing this as a backup. But I'm getting ahead of myself a wee bit. So when she's When she's, like, 17, 18, she gets a job as, like, a violinist in an orchestra pit in a theatre in Berlin. So, like, back in the day, what would happen is silent films would play and the orchestra would play along. You know, they would do the dangerous music when the train would be getting towards the train tracks and the damsel would be tied to it by the, the devious villain, you know they would play the appropriate, like, soundtrack for the movie. And and that's what she did. Uh, she lasted four weeks before she was, she was fired. But of course, a girl needs a job. And so she gets one as a chorus girl. And so she's on tour with the Guido Taichers Girl Cabaret. Fuck me, my throat is so sore. I can't pronounce words properly. Like, I, I'm usually pretty good. Uh, you know European words places Nope, not today everything I'm buggering it all up but it's fine I'm sure you'll I'm sure you'll forgive me so yeah she's on tour during these like vaudeville shows and she tries to get into a drama academy she auditions when she's 21 and she's desperate trying to get into this drama academy. What is it? The um, Max Reinhardt's drama academy. And they were like, no, she didn't get in. Not even a wee bit. And so she ends up doing chorus girl stuff, small theater parts, you know, bits and pieces. And she's doing this around Berlin. But what she also does in Berlin is she starts going to The underground Berlin, gay bars and drag balls. So she was very much part of this scene. And throughout her early 20s, she is going out partying. She's shagging men. She's shagging women. She's probably shagging people who are gender nonconformist. She's doing everything. Everyone, some might say. And she's having the best time. And we love this journey for her. When she's twenty two, she gets a teeny weeny role in a film called The Little Napoleon. So that's her that's her debut to the moving pictures. That is not her accent. That was bad, that was really bad. So she's on the set of Tragedy of Love, very uh optimistic one there, where she meets Rudolf Seiber. Now, as someone who's just constantly this big party girl and she's out shagging this person, that person, whoever, right? And she suddenly flips on this. She tells everyone that she's fallen madly in love. But um, all the evidence suggests that this, in fact, was a shotgun wedding. So, <laughs> effectively, uh, Marlena Dietrich was pregnant and being, you know the good man that he was I guess I suppose, maybe Rudolf Seiber decides he's gonna make an honest woman out of her and they get married and it's in like like a civil service and they get married in May and then Marlena's only child their daughter is born in December. Maria Elizabeth Cyber. Just, just, you know, May to December. That's, uh. I mean, that's, that's, that's eight months. I'm just, I'm just saying that's, it's not a long time. I'm just, just putting it out there. It's a good day for a shotgun wedding. Yeah, I know, I know, I squeezed it in there. I did it, I don't care, I did it. So they have this cookie cutter, like, family. Husband, wife, baby. And they're married, yeah? And they stay married. Like, they don't get divorced, because... I don't know, maybe they couldn't be arsed. Maybe they stayed friends. Because, you know, they both got around, and they, they seem to be pretty chill. Like, he's living with, like, another woman for, like, 20 years... And Marlena is just kind of doing whoever she wants. And they live separate lives, but they just can't be arsed. Getting divorced? I couldn't read anything about them not getting on, so... Eh, maybe they were fine. You know. But yes, nuclear family. You might think, ah, you know, she might settle down. Absolutely not. So she continues working on stage and on screen all through sort of the 1920s, but then in 1929 she meets Joseph von Sternberg. And what's interesting about these two is as far as I remember, they currently hold like the most collaborations between an actor and a director. So these two like worked have worked together more than any other, they've been in more productions than any other actor slash director. So Go them, that's actually fucking cool. So she gets her break as Lola on his film The Blue Angel. And this is her big break. And he's out there telling everybody that he discovered her. Like and for years afterwards, Merlina would say that, you know, this was her first film and you know, and pretend like the old ones in Germany didn't exist, didn't happen. But no. No, no, th- this was just her being discovered. So she ends up being signed to Paramount Pictures just because this film does so fucking well. And she gets signed because they're trying to find, like, another Greta Garbo, who's Swedish. And so they wanted somebody else and she's German. So, you know, she's she's foreign. She's out there and she's doing well. And that's what they want. They want someone who has the same kind of appeal. That same, I don't want to say exoticness. But like, imagine like, oh, they're so exotic. They're German. like. Yeah. <laughs> but Meltro, Golden Mayor, they had Garbo. And Paramount wanted their own Garbo. But they couldn't have another Swede. Because that would be a turn up for the books. I regret nothing. And so, and so they wanted their own and so enter Marlena. So she leaves Berlin for Hollywood. She, you know, kisses her husband and her daughter goodbye. And she's like, I'll be back soon. But she's not. And it doesn't really matter because at that point his mistress is like a dancer, I think. She's, you know, in there, you know, involved in that situation. While Marlena's headed over to Hollywood And she's there, and she arrives, and Joseph von Sternberg, he just starts showering her with gifts, one of which is a green Rolls Royce. Now, I don't care much for green cars, nor for Rolls Royces, but I would not say no to one. Even though I do not drive, that is not the point. If I had one of those, if I could afford a Rolls Royce, I feel like I could afford a driver, you know? Except I would call him a chauffeur, because I'm bougie like that. So Marlena is just cruising towards the US, preparing for her next film role, maybe flirting with some people on the boat. And, you know, because she has to travel by boat, because that's how one got around in the past. And she gets to the States. And the moment she steps off the boat, she is served with papers, because Joseph von Sternberg's wife, um, she was suing Melina Dietrich for $600,000 for a label and for stealing her husband's affection. So basically this suit was accusing her of seeing in an interview with some magazine in Germany that von Sternberg was in love with her and that he was going to leave his wife for her. And, and the studio is like, oh no, we can't have this, this is not something we can do right now, and Marlena's just like wanting to fight it because she's like, "Fuck this for a Game of Soldiers." And what happens is the the studio basically pair off and they make it settle and to not go public. Like they're just like, "No, no, 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 keep it dumb, keep it dumb. We're not, we're not having this. We have a reputation to think about." And, like, the Hayes Code was starting to come into effect at this point, too. So if you don't know what the Hayes Code is, it was this level of censorship that was adopted by, sort of, the motion picture scene by all of the major studios. And they all just kind of agreed to it. And it's so fucking ridiculous. It had a list of actors and actresses who were blacklisted, effectively, um, for being, like, openly you know, sexy, gay, um, who were using a lot of curse words in real life, who had behaviour that was seen as immoral or unethical or, you know, not upstanding traditional values. Like it just said this so stupid it's so stupid. So it had a list of all these actors and actresses on it. And then it also had sort of rules that you had to follow, like, you couldn't have relationships, quote-unquote relations, outside of marriage, you couldn't have, like, a couple sharing a bed together, you couldn't have anything that suggested sex, you couldn't have, um, like, a bunch of weird, weird shit, like, my personal favourite was, if a couple are in a bedroom, they have to have one foot on the floor at all times. Like like you couldn't have really sexy, sexy stuff going on, which in a way was really good because it meant that at the time women would get decent roles because they couldn't just be like a sex symbol. Like you you couldn't just be that. Like you couldn't be pigeonholed into this specific sort of bit. And at the time as well, you had a lot of women working behind the scenes in Hollywood. Like a lot of the major players initially were women, and then men realized you could make money off it, and then they came. But yeah, it was it was a very interesting time. So yeah, the Hayes Code comes in, so women get pretty decent parts because they can't just be a sex symbol, you know, about a bit of fluff, and so they get decent roles. And then comes Marlena, who causes scandal on the set of Morocco because she's playing a cabaret star. As always, I say as always, but she is. She's playing a cabaret star and she's wearing a suit and she kisses another woman. Now again, this is something that shouldn't be allowed according to the Hayes Code, but she argues and argues and says that it's essential to the plot and that it's necessary and she kind of bullies slash convinces the um the censors to, to allow it and to keep it in. And they do. And this is where she also starts having an affair with Gary Cooper, who's also having an affair with like another actress who wants to quote Tear Merlina's eyeballs out. Like okay, cool, that's that's fun. So naturally this is a perfect time to go visit your husband, and she heads back to Germany, back to Berlin, and she gets there. And turns out her daughter doesn't fucking recognize her. And she's like, oh no, this ain't good. And she decides, you know what, y'all are coming back to America with me. Come on, let's go. And off they pop. They head over to the States. Now as her daughter grows up, instead of, you know, sending her to school, like, you know, one should, she ends up having her become like a mini assistant and just drags her from set to set so the more she's acting the more she's getting around she's bringing her with her now part of this is probably like a bit selfish because she's upset that her daughter didn't recognize her but another part was she gets this letter threatening to kidnap Maria and they're going to come get her and whatever and so she always keeps her close Like, she tells, you know, Stiber, the husband, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to call the cops. And so, he's like, people have threatened to kidnap her. Eventually, no one does. But, you know, yeah. Now, Maria, she basically ends up writing this book, which is kind of the equivalent of Mummy Dearest. And it is, it is not favourable. It basically says that Marlena Dietrich was, you know, a bit of a bitch, which we kind of expected to the best of our abilities, but it also said that she was a wee bit racist. She was also a little bit sexist, which, you know, weird for a queer woman to hate other women, but she did. She really hated Josephine Baker, and I don't know if that's just because Josephine Baker was amazing and she was jealous, or because Josephine Baker was not white. So we have to take into consideration that. Not, 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 not the best of people in the world is Marlena Dietrich. That being said, when Von Sternberg goes back to Germany, she's like, maybe you shouldn't do that because things don't seem great over there. Because Von Sternberg is Jewish and he's her friend and well, collaborator, possibly lovers, who's to say. And she's like, let's not do that. So she is doing. Okay, film wise, in the 1930s. She's in well received movies, but she's gone away from Paramount and she's making movies in sort of other countries and she's making them in London and they're expensive and she's doing well. Like, all right. But she ends up like number one, two, six in the box office rankings and so she gets labelled Poison, Box Office Poison. Uh, which apparently is a big deal. Um, and just like everybody else, it's just kind of, she fell out of fashion a wee bit. It's not really that big a deal. You know, she just wasn't at thing. Like, Fred Astaire at one point was labelled box office poison. Fred fucking Astaire. You know, Catherine Hepburn, um, Greta Garbo. Like, all of the interesting ones. They're like, ooh. And so, she gets labelled as that. And that's fine. But speaking of Catherine Hepburn and Greta Garbo, and such, and allegedly, ale- I've got to say allegedly, because there's a wee amount of evidence, but not a huge amount of evidence. But there's enough of it. Mm. So here's the thing: the sewing circle, the sewing circle was like this. It isn't like a club, you know. It's not like a members-only jacket, no. Um, although, we should have sewing circle jackets if you want. Like, let's do that. Sewing circle. A little sewing circle. Oh, <gasps> OMG. Would well, be amazing, wouldn't it? <gasps> anyway, yes. So basically, the sewing circle was more of a concept, and I'm not saying it's like a ring. You know, it's not like, like a drug ring, but it, it's a lesbian ring. Um, yeah, effectively. So, lesbians in Hollywood... Whether they were actors, actresses, I say actors, whether they were actresses or behind the scenes or writers or, you know, the wife of Jack Warner of Warner Brothers, just saying. So they were lesbians in Hollywood, effectively, and that was the sewing circle. So I think Tallulah Bankhead, um, Claudine Colbert, so on and so forth, Marlena Dietrich, and Marlena's having affairs, men, women, whomever, having the best life. Because of this, because of this sort of known secret of who she was and who she was doing, that's kind of where Hollywood sort of loses its fizz with her. And she gets an interesting
0: offer. I'm Helena Bonham Carter, and for BBC Radio 4... and jethro box of oddities that is really mysterious join cat and jethro gilligan toth for the strange the bizarre the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities the webby award-winning box of oddities podcast from airwave media
1: so it's the mid-30s her films are doing okay but they're not great and she starts dating John Gilbert. John Gilbert had gone from like silent movies to talkies and he had a very light speaking voice but the studios tried to like alter his voice and like post to kind of go make it sound a bit more manly and as such like this rumour mill started going out that he had a high pitched, squeaky voice and it kind of tanked his career. Didn't tank his love life though because he was married four times and like in the middle of Like, like between marriage two and three, he's dating Greta Garbo, who ends up leaving him at the altar. Like, drama. Drama central, right? So, allegedly, his last marriage ended because of his affair with Marlena. But they, like, officially start dating between, like, 1935 and 1936. And she tries to get him a comeback in one of his films because, you know, things are not going great for him. But it doesn't work, and he basically drinks himself to death. Like, that's what happens, you know. And Marlena is very upset over this. Like, she actually breaks down crying in a church, like, sobbing. I mean, I'm hoping it's real and it wasn't just for show. Like, it'd be nice to know that she had that level of empathy. Well, you know what they say, nothing gets you over the last one like the next one. And she starts getting down with uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Who was very much married to Joan Crawford. Now, there are whispers, there are rumours that it probably happened. So basically there's there's a, a rumour that Joan Crawford was also part of the social... Social circle? No, the sewing circle. She was also part of the sewing circle, so that's right. And they end up like going on holiday together, like Marlena Dietrich, Douglas Fairbanks Jr., like her husband Rudolf and Rudolf's mistress, like just everybody, all at once. But yeah, um, there's a thing as well in Hollywood at the time, um, and across America actually is there was a thing called a lavender marriage and a lavender marriage was that usually put together by studios you know where um if one person was like a lesbian or a gay man and they would marry them to make them look like a heteronormative couple um even if even if say for example both of them were bisexual right it would be like that because uh have you ever noticed that if um bisexual people like if 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 a woman is bisexual, you know men often think that women are like pretending to like other women you know for performative reasons for men, or that they can be easily quote unquote turned, you know, and that gay men um are gonna be obsessed with them like it's funny how the very concept of sexuality Revolves around men, and but I digress. So these lavender marriages would happen. I'm not saying this was one. I'm just saying that you know they assume that both of these people are going to be promiscuous, and they're both gonna, you know, fuck men. But the point is that they wanted it to look like this was a marriage, a real marriage, genuine marriage. But it's Hollywood, so how much is real? So yeah, these. uh, There's rumours that she was having a wee thing with Joan Crawford. There's also rumours she was having a thing with Mae West. You know, just, uh... Hollywood's weird, that's all I'm saying. So, like, the whole thing with Fairbanks Jr. is... If, um, she was chatting to somebody that she was, you know... Interested in, or was interested in her... Is she would let him listen in on the phone call... And then let him go, like, absolutely apeshit ranting about her suitors, which is... I mean... It It's a level of, like, petty that I don't want to aspire to. But also, I appreciate her tenacity. But yes, this is the point where she is box office poison. Quote, unquote. You know. And she, she has some fans. Right? 1939. Good bunch of fans. And, um... One of which is, you know, the leader of the Third Reich. So not the kind of fans you want. You know, I get it. I get it. I wouldn't want anyone uh, following me or being interested in me. I do not want Nazis, like, in any capacity to be supportive of me. Like, I don't I don't want you. Just like I don't want Conservatives or Republicans. I want decent human beings who actually, you know, don't need... It. Explain to them that you should care about other people. that. Basic empathy is not virtue signalling, you know. Um, Not not keen on that. In any capacity. Not my thing. No thank you. Bye bye. So yeah, uh, she's not doing well in the box office. But you know. That's right. The Nazi government. You know. Nazi Germany. They contact her and they request that she stars in a range of propaganda films, you know, to show how amazing Germany is and the Third Reich and everything that goes along with that. But like two years previously she'd already applied for American citizenship and she was like ready to renounce. And she that's what she was doing. She was renouncing her German citizenship because she was like, I'm not fucking involved with this bullshit I'm not my circus, not my monkeys, no thank you, adios Adolf. Like, fuck off. No. Very much a fuck this for a game of socials. But um, when they request, when they contact her, when they ask her to be in these propaganda movies, she simply responds, nine. Just nine. Like, oh we love you, you're amazing. We want you to be in this movie, we want you to promote her horrific fascist agenda. No. Like I I love it. It's like the same uh the same feeling I get about Princess Alice of Battenberg, where she's just like lighting a cigarette and just being like No. Like I love it, like No. Like I love the just putting the ash out. On the fucking soldiers, like, shoes. Like, (laughs) no. Like, that's also terrifying. You've got Goebbels and Hitler being like, Come be in our movies. Get to fuck me. No. Oh, actually, no, I'm... Correction. Correction already. No, it wasn't 1939. It was 1937. So it was, like, pre-war. So like she was watching what was happening in Germany, and they're like, "Come and support her homeland," and she's like, "No, uh, <laughs> no, uh, she doesn't. She doesn't want to be involved in that." And like straight away, it's actually after this straight away she's like, "Nope, citizenship, thanks, bye bye," and that's what she does. She like doesn't renounce her German citizenship citizenship until 1939 when you know the war technically starts, and she's like, "Definitely gone, thanks, bye." But yeah, bold move and we love it. So Marlena Dietrich, she actually starts fundraising to get Jews out of Germany. So she starts like raising money for Jewish refugees and she ends up donating, what was it, her entire salary from one of her films in 1937, you know, like half a million dollars I think it is like towards this um like fundraising. And when World War Two breaks out, like she like doubles down on it. So like she'd gone back to Paramount, tried a romantic comedy, things did not go down well. Yes, the movie was A Knight Without Armour. So then when obviously the war breaks out, World War Two is she becomes one of the first like celebrities, you know, public figures to start selling war war bonds. And the best part is, is, like, she actually sells more war bonds than any other, like, person, any other celebrity, any other. She sells the fucking most. Because, of course, she does. Like, she even then starts doing, like, uh, the USO sort of thing. Like, the tours where she visits the troops. And so she even goes, like, pretty close to the German front. And, uh... (laughs) she gets she gets contacted by the oss so (laughs) basically the british sort of secret service and they ask her to make a series of recordings in german um the whole purpose of which is to like demoralize german soldiers which i mean i don't know how you can bring down the morale of nazis because you know they're nazis and uh human beings and lack again empathy and consideration but yeah she's um so she ends up doing these recordings which is fucking brilliant like and and so like you'd think you know she's doing the bonds she's raising money for jewish refugees she's uh she's got these weird messages going on she's visiting trips Near the front, like, yeah. But G. Edgar Hoover is convinced. That's right, President of America is convinced. No, he wasn't the President of America. That's a lie. He was the head of the FBI. Fuck me, I'm tired. I'm so sorry. So he's the head of the FBI, and he's like, that bitch is a German spy. And um, he, he ends up having her tracked and followed, which I feel was not the best use of, you know, those... Money and manpower just feels like a waste, really, so they end up like tracking her and like stalking her and like going through her mail and whatnot and and they don't find you know any like conspiracy and any spying what they do find is um salacious details and so many so many lovers, just an abundance of lovers some might say. And so, during World War Two as well, which is, like, so fucking funny, is that people assumed that she was easy, you know, because she was known to have all these lovers and they thought, you know, they think if you're bisexual, you're clearly a slut, right? That's just how they do things. And so, men would come up to her and they'd be, like, trying to get it on and she was like, I'll sleep with you over Hitler's dead body. So, I will sleep with you over Hitler's dead body. Like, yeah, yeah, when he's dead, then I'll consider you, you absolute cockwombo. But yeah, um, yeah, she wasn't really into the whole fascist Germany situation. Um, unlike her sister, who was, like, running a cinema, hosting things for Nazi troops, and just, uh, generally supporting them. And so when she tries to get to the States... She expects Melina to like help her get there. And she's like, No, I'm disowning you and your husband and your son. Cause you know, Nazis not happening. I mean, well, she kept them safe at first. And she vouched for them and she was like, They didn't do it, they were just in a bad situation. And then over time she was like, No, actually they're fucking assholes. I'm done with them. Which, you know, I respect. I respect being like, do you wanna ally with people who allied with Nazis? feels like a good litmus test, you know? Shitty family aside, Marlena gets awarded the Légion d'honneur from France and the US Medal of Freedom for extraordinary record entertaining troops overseas during the war. But like, she gets his award and that's going great, but, uh, yeah, yeah, still not great in the box office. So, her professional life is not, it's not going well. But again, um, personally, not so bad. So, at this point, Maria's in boarding school, so she actually gets to school, which is nice. So, her daughter's in school, and she'll go visit her husband, and she'll go visit, well, her husband and his mistress, and Tamara. That's her name, Tamara. And so, she would go there and go to parties, and she would just take these long trips and use it as excuses to go sort of connect with, you know, other celebrities and other well-known people like Ernest fucking Hemingway. And, um, things, things are, are, you know, they're warming up for her. And she ends up having these long love affairs, um... She's got Freed, she's got Mercedes de Acosta, she's got uh, Dolores Del Rio and so on and so forth. You know, I mean, she's, she's, she's getting around. She's getting around. Basically, there's, um, you know, a rotating door. It's a rotating, revolving. It's a revolving door of lovers. And they're just going through. And... One of her lovers, Jean Jarbon, he is so mad that she's, like, sleeping with other people. Uh, And she's like, you knew this when you got in this with me. Like, I'm married, and you are here staying with me in my house. And you're mad I'm sleeping with someone else. Like, what? Feels like a double standard. And he would respond to her actions with his fucking fists. He would beat the shit out of her. And, uh, Clearly not one to take things lying down. She decided to just nope out of that situation. No, not dealing with that. Which, again, fair. But she did get like a wee bit of revenge, which I am proud of. like So he'd gone back to France for reasons. And he'd left like a bunch of really expensive paintings behind. And he was planning to come back and deal with. And she just fucking sells them all. Because of course she does. Which is, you know... The least she could do considering he beat the crap out of her, the absolute shitbag. Oh, actually, here's one of my favourite stories about Melina Dietrich is like, she'd gone out to like a bar and she was flirting with a serviceman at a bar, as one does. Girls like a man in uniform. What can I say? Girls like a girl in uniform. We like women in uniform, not girls. I don't want a Girl Scout, that's creepy. I want a woman in a well-cut suit. Sin, Or a man in a will cuts it. Or a man. Or a woman. Or a gender non-conforming person. In a cozy cardigan. Everyone looks cute in a cozy cardigan. Anyway, uh, like an owl. Ooh. <laughs> okay, oh, the medicine's kicking in. So, yeah, uh, Marlena is flirting with the serviceman in a bar. And he is so taken with her that his wife actually cites her as the reason for their divorce. Even though they did no more than, like, flirt in a fucking bar. But anyway, her film career, it's not doing great. And so she ends up going back to the stage. So from, like, the 1950s all the way up to the 1970s, she's in, you know, she's on the stage. She's doing um cabaret-like performances. Like, she's in... Paris, London, Las Vegas, Berlin. Like, she's. She goes on this stage tour in Europe, like in like the 60s, early 60s, and she ends up in Berlin, which is, well, it's still split, it's separated at this point. So she goes to West Berlin and she gets booed to, like, Malina, go home. And they're, like, totally pissed at her. And there, uh, I think there's like two bomb threats for the stage that she's on. And it's like, she's like shaken up by this, obviously. Um, but then when she goes to East Berlin and she performs there, everyone's like, yay, Marlena. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. But yeah, she's out touring, she's performing, she's singing, she's doing her stuff. And even though she's doing all this, she's still doing a bunch of other people. So at one point, she's she's in a relationship with Yul Brynner. You know, from The King and I, Yul Brynner, who's, yeah, the man who, like, was involved in in that Vietnam baby situation, like, with the playboy, and it's madness. It's wild. Anyway, so she's with Mike Todd and George Bernard Shaw and John Wayne and Kirk Douglas and Frank Sinatra like, she is just getting into everybody. Um, and, like, her and Rudolph are still buried at this point. And, like, she is supporting them, like, financially. She buys them a ranch in California. And, um, it gets, it doesn't go well for Rudolph's mistress, though. Because she's ill. And she starts, like, declining, like, mentally. And she gets agoraphobia, and she's like, stops eating and um, speaking. And she ends up getting committed to a mental institute, you know. Because they're like, she needs to go here. And she goes there, and another inmate attacks her and kills her. And, like, she had been with, you know, Rudolph Sieber for, like, 35 years like, Maria saw her as, like, another mother. And, yeah, she passed away. As passed away. She was fucking killed. So, like, in the 60s um, and the 70s, so, like, throughout that period, like, she starts using uh, um, various techniques to mold her body. So she does, like, Spanx before Spanx. She has, quote-unquote, body-sculpting undergarments, you know, shapewear, and so she's like making the shake wear and like wearing it, and she's also doing non-surgical facelifts. It's tape. It's all tape. So she like tapes her face back and then puts a wig on, and she like disguises it. And um, she has this fucking brilliant quote. So she says, uh, "Careful grooming may take twenty years off a woman's age, but you can't fool a flight of stairs." So yeah, you, you might be like contouring and taping your face back and stapling bits and the wig on but yeah, yeah, that those stairs they're still going to be tough to climb you know what I mean? So yeah, she does that and then in 1965 she gets diagnosed with cervical cancer and this is just not not great for her and so she ends up taking like like she's self-medicating with like booze and painkillers and it gets to the point where um like this is just like really starts taking a toll on her. And then like things start going wrong with her legs. Like the circulation starts going and she's having a lot of trouble with it. And in nineteen seventy-three, she ends up fracturing like her left her left thigh and she has to get like skin grafts and a bunch of other stuff so that her leg will heal. So it just wasn't, and then in 1974, she falls and breaks her leg, her right leg. So it's like left thigh, right leg, and she ends up like just not being able to like perform properly. But like at some point during this as well, she ends up in a movie with David Bowie. David Bowie, Bowie, Bowie. Bowie. I don't care. Um, she ends up in a movie. I mean, of all the queer icons to smoosh together in a film, I mean, it's not a great film, but you should still watch it. Because, I mean, I'd like to say they sing. She kind of sings. She does what she believes is singing. Again, respect the drip. Thank God the women had such good style. Um. And, uh, yeah, so she's, she's breaking bets all over the place. I fucked it up again. She fractures, like, one leg, she fractures the other leg, and then, in 75, she breaks her thigh bone. And she's like, okay, no more stage for me, I'm done now. And she has to basically, like, stop doing the whole stage performance, because she's too old to do it now. In 76, her husband, Rudolf, dies. He passes away. In 78, that's when she's in the Just a Gigolo Movie with David Bowie and like they're in the movie like she's like the madam of the brothel and he works for her it's it's a movie that exists so after this she basically becomes like a recluse a hermit and she just like goes back to her little apartment in Paris where she only has like family or servants and she doesn't like go anywhere but she does spend a lot of time on the phone she has a monthly phone bill of like 3,000 quid because she's phoning everybody. So she's phoning world leaders like Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan and this is the 80s and she's just like calling all these people. Like she's trying to save like a Babelsberg theatre and so like she's happy to speak but she doesn't want to be filmed which is fair enough. So she's like chatting to these people and she's trying to like save like this thing, or she's talking about the fall of the Berlin Wall and, you know, it's, it's being like shared across like the BBC and on like French radio and all that jazz. And like, allegedly, according to her grandson, like the reason she would phone up these politicians was to give out shit to them for being dicks. <laughs> I just love the idea of Melina Dietrich just being on the phone to Margaret Thatcher being like, listen here, bitch. Have you tried, you know, not being a cunt? Like, perhaps? Um, But yeah, I love the idea of it. So at one point, she gets like these calls from a doctor who like offers to like fly out and see her. And she's like, don't speak to me. And she cuts him off. And then a few weeks later, she allows him to phone her again. And he's like, I'm spending $90 an hour on this therapist. And she's like, why give money to the therapist when you can give money to me? And so, like, he sends her a check and she, like, sings to him on the phone every night. Like, that's commitment. So, Marlena, she becomes bedridden and just can't go anywhere. And eventually, her kidneys give up. And on the 6th of May, 1992, the age of 90, she passes away from kidney failure. In her home in Paris. Her funeral was a Requiem Mass held in Paris, which had like fifteen hundred like mourners, with like important like dignitaries and whatnot from Germany, France, England, Spain. Like the French president is there and he's got like the Legion of Honour and everything for her. And yeah, she has her funeral in France, and she is buried in Berlin, fairly close to her mother, actually. And then, like the majority of her estate is sold to the Stiftung uh, Deutsche Kinematik, so um becomes like the main part of the exhibition of the film the film house in Berlin. And so, the the family then also sell like a bunch of um, goodness, just uh. Papers and correspondence and letters and, you know, costumes and props and all the stuff that she'd taken from, like, the stage and movies and all of her personal effects get sold to, like, auction. So, you know, they are out there. You could buy them if you had enough money. If you wanted to. So, yeah, um, thus ends the story of Marlena Dietrich, who was, um... Yeah, a very polarizing figure um, in many scenarios. And if you liked my retelling of this story, even with my gravelly sick voice, please feel free to rate and review five stars. I'd appreciate it. But of course, it is recommendation time. So uh, I'm, I'm going to recommend uh, for watching, just to jiggle up. Go watch the movie. You should. Live your best life treat yourself for reading I'm going to suggest It's Not a Bloody Trend Just a book about adult ADHD if you're an adult with ADHD which you may be because you're listening to me you might want to go read it and for listening for listening David Bowie go listen to some David Bowie Starman rising through the sky you deserve it. Go do it. And with that, I shall bide you goodnight. Adios. Au revoir. Au revoir my friends. Bye-bye.